It's a song that reminds us the the way things are running down here isn't the way it's always going to be. That's real hope, by the way. Because if this is as good as it gets, it's rough to have some hope, right? Some tough stuff. As a congregation, uh, we go through waves of difficulty as a body together. It's what it means to be a family together. You know, sometimes it's tough stretches. And uh, we've got a number of families. I've been sending out a handful of uh, email updates. Many of you get those. But we're just going to take some time, and we're going we're to pray together for not just those needs, but perhaps you came in this morning and just need to, uh, just need to be prayed for and prayed with. And we're going to do that now. Um, you got my note about um, Dave and Don Rose. You guys know the Rose family. Rose family, are you here? Dave and Don, they travel a lot. So Dave and Don Rose, they lead Teen Challenge. Um, Dave's mother passed away about 10 days ago or so, right, Dave? Just had the memorial service, is that correct? And uh, so we just want to know, brother, we're praying for you or with you. It's been a, a long journey for Dave and the family and his mother's declining health. And then um, Ellie Brown's father, many of you know, the Brown family, Jeff and Ellie. I don't think the Browns are here. Uh, I think Ellie's on her way, North Carolina. Her father passed away uh, this past week. Um, was He was struggling with Parkinson's, um, but certainly didn't think he was close to passing. So I think the suddenness, um, she's viewing it as God's grace, taking him home to glory and maybe allowing him not to experience some things in this life that have been really, really tough on the Parkinson's road. Um, we can pray for the Brown family that way. And then Terry and Derek Danella. Danellas, are you here today? The Danella family, they're in the back right there. So we'll have you guys, uh, in just a moment, have you guys stand up and we'll gather some people around you and some others. But uh, Terry lost her father this week as well. So we want to be praying for you or with you in spirit. And then the Hickman family. Do you guys know the Hickmans? Don and Ernie, are you here? Uh, the Hickman family. Tom, have you seen Don or Ernie today? Yeah. So the Hickmans are fairly, uh, they're newer to the body in the past six months or so. And uh, Don's been recent, recently diagnosed with, so they've discovered some tumors in and around her brain area. And uh, she's just been going through a really, really tough stretch. And uh, so we can pray for the Hickmans. And maybe I, Tom and Wendy, have you stand up on their behalf, if you don't mind, and we'll just gather around. But that's just, I mean, those are just some of the ones you'd know about. And listen, listen we all, life's, life's really difficult, and we're going to talk about that in the message. And, um, but maybe you come in and you just, you just want to stand up to say, hey, I'm going through some stuff, uh, and I need the body to, to just pray. And you don't have to say anything. Uh, we're just going to have you stand up right where you're at. And so if Dave and Don, if you'd stand, and Danellis, if you'd stand, and Tom and Wendy, if you'd stand on behalf of the Hickmans, and uh, maybe someone stand on behalf of the Brown family. Who's close to Jeff and Ellie Brown? If you're close to the Browns, maybe stand on behalf of their family uh, and their kids. They've been a longtime part of Eagle. Um, and then others, if you just come in needing prayer, needing someone to just uh, stand with you. The Bible says that when the body gathers, you know, one of the things that happens is we carry one another's burdens. Do you know that we go through stuff in life and we were never intended to go through it alone? Um, the word burden in the Bible is actually the word for boulder. So there's, it's, it's, a, it's a rock you're, you'd never carry alone, which is the point, right? You carry one another's. So this is a one another moment. You're going through some stuff. You're carrying some stuff. Is the Christensen family here today? Eric, Rachel, I haven't seen the Christensen's today. Anybody seen the Christensen's? I sent out an email regarding that. We're going to be lifting up Eric and Rachel and their family. Rachel recently had surgery. Sten, their 19-year-old, recently diagnosed with bone cancer. He's been a longtime part, grew up here at Eagle. So if you know Eric and Rachel and their family, if you could just be lifting them up. 
but you might be going through some stuff, right? Doesn't have to be uh, to that degree. It may just be in the everyday life avenue. So you just stand where you're at and we're going to pray together. Anybody else? Just stand where you're at. It's family, right? Uh, all the things that the church, is, I mean, hey, family, safe place. Carry one another's burdens. So let's, let's make sure everyone who's standing, okay, this is your time now. Just gather around them. If you're near, just gather around, place an arm on a shoulder. Um, you don't have to even know their names at this point. Just place an arm on a shoulder, and that's, hey, those of you who stood on behalf of yourself or someone else, the arm on the shoulder, let's make sure no one's alone here, the arm on the shoulder is God's way of saying to you, uh, you're, you're not in this alone, okay? This is the body carrying and bearing the burdens together. Could be relational issues you're going through, could be emotional, everything in between. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, I think of Psalm 68 where it says, uh, you're the kind of God who daily bears our burdens. When we encounter boulder-like realities, right now there's some grief and loss standing before you. There's some who've said goodbye to a mom or a dad recently. It's really hard, Lord, in those stretches of loss. We lift up those families to you and we ask for the God of comfort your spirit to be poured out upon them. A measure of peace that only you can provide by the Holy Spirit. We're asking for those families as they gather for memorial services. And I pray for a mending and a healing and what likely surfaces a lot of relational turmoil when those kinds of uh, things happen and families gather and all the history that comes. I pray for healing grace. And then, Lord, there's some others who've stood just going through it. Uh, physically, Lord, there's some stuff standing before you now that simply needs an intervention physically to their bodies, and we're asking for you to heal. You're the God who heals. You said to call upon you when we need a touch from the Lord, when we need healing. That's what we're doing now. We're asking you to touch and intervene physically. There's some situations emotionally and relationally before you that have been going a long time, complicated, difficult, messy, Jesus, we just lift them up and say, bear those burdens with us, please. Come through. Hear our cries for help. May redemption get the last word. May brokenness not be the end of the story. Give strength, Lord. There's some standing just need a, a measure of strength by the Holy Spirit. Endurance. some that just need a measure of faith to believe that something could indeed happen. Like those who came to you, Jesus said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Give us the eye of faith to see into what's possible. That you're the God who is able. So for all those standing and maybe some seated just carrying some things, right now we just lay them before you and say, God, hear our cries for help. Make up there, come down here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, if you make your way back to your seat, let me encourage those of you who stood around someone. If, 
even if you don't know their names, maybe as we were praying, God gave you a little, uh, maybe a scripture, a word of encouragement, something to just pull, use your little note card in your bulletin, write them a note, and after the service, hand it to them. There's been many stories around here where that very step, uh, as you share that with each other as a body, how instrumental and meaningful that was to the person going through it. So um, maybe God's prompting you just to, to leave them a note, and I'd encourage you to, to follow through with that, because that's one of the ways God ministers to us in our stretches of difficulty. We'll open up your Bibles, Exodus 17. We're wrapping up our series today called A Resilient Life, and I hope you've enjoyed the series as much as I've enjoyed preparing and leading through it. Um, We're wrapping it up today uh, by looking at the nature of resilience, which we've defined as growing stronger as we grow older. The nature of this very virtue of the Christian life, this character quality that's built in us by the Holy Spirit, it cannot and will not occur in isolation. It's not a a me or an I thing, it's an us and a we thing. I don't know if you guys have heard of the book, The All Better Book. The All Better Book was written many years ago. It turned into like a bestseller. It was, I think, a mom who first had the idea, and the idea was to present some of the world's biggest problems to a group of children and to ask for the children's response. Like, what would you do with this, like, huge issue going on uh, in the world type of thing? And so they, and they wrote a book about it. So I thought there were some really telling ones in here. So one of the problems they presented to the group of kids was, you know, the whole issue of, of smoking. Smoking's bad for people. And, and so what can you do to help people quit smoking, even though they know it's really bad and they continue to do it? Like, kids, what would you do? So Alexis, age eight, here's what she said. Quote, go to a smoker's house Pretend to smoke and die. All right. A little dramatic for a little Alexis there. Here, here's another problem they presented to the kids. They said, well, well, too many people spend way too many hours working at jobs that they really, really don't like. So they're, all, they're just working. I'm sure none of, nobody here has that issue. But they're, they're really unhappy in their jobs. And give the boss some suggestions. Like, well, what are we going to do to solve this? Andrew, age nine, piped up, quote, pay double and have a big tickling machine for unhappy workers. (laughs) All right, Andrew, future HR right there, HR employee. Here's a really hard one they presented to him. The question was this, that with billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. With billions of people in the world, Someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. Kalani, age eight, she said, well, people should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely people to not lonely people and put it in the newspaper. (laughs) I think she's a future accountant is what I think is right there. So Max, age nine, was asked the same question about what to deal with loneliness. Here's what Max, age nine, said. Make food that talks to you when you eat. (laughs) Love that. The difference between young girl Kalani's response, age eight, and Max, age nine, isn't that classic? (laughs) Food, right, for the young boy. Just have the food talk to you. How about Brian, age eight? His response to that question was this about loneliness. He said, hey, sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book, hear this. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. 
You know, you know, loneliness is such an epidemic issue in our world today. Did you hear what um, Prime Minister of England, Theresa May, did you hear what she established as a new position on her cabinet in 2018? You can Google this. True story, beginning of 2018, the epidemic of loneliness has gone to the point around the world, but specifically in the UK. The UK has established now a minister of loneliness appointed on their cabinet to deal with with billions and billions of people in the world. Surely someone can figure out a system where no one would be lonely. You know, someone has been addressed this. Jesus is the person who addressed this issue, and he pointed to a solution that we're all experiencing today together called the local church. Like he said, hey, he knew loneliness would be an issue. God knew this, and Jesus addressed this, and he's calling us towards it. And this morning, what I want, the dots I want to see you connect are, do you see how the only way we're going to run this race of perseverance, Hebrews 12, run the race of perseverance that's marked out for us, the only way we're going to make it through mile marker after mile marker, decade after decade, the only way we're going to get to the end of the run, stronger, healthier, more hope, more love, more joy, more courage, more confidence in God, loving people more, the only way we're going to get to that stage is if we're going to band together and do it together. That is not going to flourish in isolation. And so with billions of people in the world, surely somebody can figure this out. Jesus said, yeah, let's look at that. So we're going to look at a story today in Exodus 17, and we're going to unpack kind of three realities, three observations from this story that give us insight into God's plan for dealing with this issue of loneliness. Now, Exodus 17, context to this story is key players in this are Moses and Aaron and, and her. and here's the context. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So here's a little backdrop. Now, it's a little backdrop on the Amalekites and their history. So the Amalekites were known, they're the first group of people to attack the Israelites. So they weren't like the most welcoming party with the Israelites. They didn't have a, a, they didn't really like them around. They felt threatened by them. So the Amalekites went after the Israelites. Now the Amalekites lineage comes, they're descendants of Esau. Those of you who know your Old Testament well know Jacob and Esau had a significant relationship. This is the lineage of Esau. And they say that they carried cascading hatred from the Jacob and Esau fracture relationship. So think about that. Connection to last Sunday's sermon. If you don't, if you're not willing to go back, to go forward, if you're not willing to repair the past by working through some of that stuff we talked about last week, Jacob and Esau and the Amalekites is a window into where that goes. Because if you leave bitterness, anger, resentment unresolved and watch that cascade from generation to generation, you got an Amalekite situation on your hand. And that's what's going on here. It started with Jacob and Esau. Two brothers. And they lived, here's where they lived geographically. So here's kind of geographically where we're talking about. Sinai Peninsula. So you see modern day, right? So just kind of south and west of modern day Israel. And it's in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. The area is called Rephidim. And at this place, there's a battle taking place. 
And in that battle, there's instructions about how this thing's going to happen. And I want you to see there's no way this could happen in isolation. Verse 10, follow now. Joshua, so Joshua's on the battlefield, fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, underline that, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady, underline that, till sunset. Verse 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So you've got two key players in addition to Moses here. You've got Aaron. Who's Aaron? It's 83. So Moses is 80. This is his 83-year-old brother. Okay? So Moses and Aaron, and then her is Moses' brother-in-law. So he's married. Her is married to Moses' sister, Miriam. So you've got a family affair here, right? They're dealing with this issue. There's a battle. They've sent Joshua into the battlefield. And God had the circumstances set that when Moses would raise the staff. Now, the staff is a symbol of God's power and presence with his people. There's nothing magical about the staff. What was significant was the staff represented God's presence and power with them. So you remember how the staff like would often be used to part the waters or touch the waters or hold it up when they're in desperation? It was kind of a symbol of, we need God to come through for us. Lift up your staff, Moses, when you need God to come through. Some of you are going through stuff in life right now. It's kind of a, a lift up your staff moment where you just need God to come through, intervene, do something that there's no way anyone else could do but him. That's the situation. Like, hey, the Amalekites are going to thrash us. Moses, you better get up on the hill and lift up your staff or they're toast. So he does. He goes up on the hill, and he's, and he's lifting it up. And so here's kind of the first observation from the storyline is every single person we lock eyes with is going through some great battle. Every single person. You realize that, right? Every blue chair around you, all the hallway interactions here, all the folks you run into throughout the week, do you realize every single person you lock eyes with is going through some great battle? On the home front, on the work front, on the health front, on the finance front, on the ministry front. Something. And the nature of that battle is it's Amalekite-like. It's what these guys had. You know, the Bible describes the battle this way. How do we know every person going through something? Ephesians 6 says this is how you know your, this is the description of your spiritual life. Ephesians 6 says, do you realize your life is going to enter a field of battle. Some of it you'll see, a large portion you won't see. So a big part of the battles we're going through in life, we can't even see them. And they're significant. Ephesians 6, that's what it says. You've you got to be strong. You've got to pray. You've got to be courageous. You've got to take your stand because there's battles. Life's really, really hard. I mean, life is hard. The thought that you're going to go through life and not, that, that's just not, everybody's going through something and life is hard and that's a reality. Like, just because you're walking with Jesus doesn't exempt you from how difficult life is and will be. In the midst of everything we don't know about what's going on in life, there's so much uncertainty with life. Here's one thing we can be rock solid certain of. We're going to be going through battles. And life's going to be really, really hard. 
and young people who are joining us today, the earlier you can internalize this reality of your walk with God, the better perspective you're going to have on this journey. You've got to understand that the decades in front of you, one of the consistent themes were, it's going to be hard. God will be with you. He will help you. He will strengthen you. But make no mistake about it, it's going to be hard. Ask anyone with a little more life on them, and they'll explain that to you again. So everybody's going through something. And if you're not in the middle of an Amalekite-like reality, just keep living, and eventually the circumstances will be there. Which cycles into our second observation. What, did, what happened when Moses got in the middle of that battle and he did what God wanted him to do? He lifted up the staff and they started to have some breakthroughs and success on the battlefield. What did the text say in verse 12? Did you see the phrase? I had you underline it. When Moses' hands, say it with me, grew tired. Huh. There's a second observation from the story, right? So the first observation from the story is... Every single person we lock eyes with is going through something, some great battle. Second, we will get weary in the battle. Did you notice the text says when, Moses? It doesn't say if. Listen to how John Eldridge, but I put this quote in your notes. Eldridge said it this way. I'm exhausted from pushing, 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 always pushing. This pushing is such a way of life for me. I barely know how to live otherwise. I'm always working on something, trying to make life better for me or for someone else. It feels like I heave myself at life. Oh, has anybody felt that? I heave myself at life. Always looking for some way to improve things. I'm frayed like an old rope. And I'm pretty sure there isn't a verse that goes, quote, He leadeth me to utter exhaustion. He runneth me ragged. We're all going to get weary in the battle, gang. Does anybody ever get weary of, like, the battle even within themselves? Like, sometimes I just get exhausted with myself. Does anybody else have that? Like, so much of my life can be so much about me and managing my own fallenness and my own sinfulness. It's just that we just get weary. It's exhausting managing yourself. You figure, that's just... And then factor in, you start managing the fallenness of others with your own fallenness. Man, that'll wear you out. Because you start intersecting your brokenness and fallenness with other people's brokenness and fallenness. And then just like one phase of weariness stacks onto another. Do you see how you get to the point where you join Moses on the battlefield of life and your staff is lifted up? I'm not suggesting you're not walking with God and you're not calling out to God and you're not asking him to intervene. But in the midst of that, you're just tired. You get weary in the battle. That's reality. That's really what happens. You lift up your staff and you're asking God to come through and you get exhausted. The circumstances go from challenging to overwhelmingly challenging. So I put a little checklist in your notes. It's kind of a half confessional for my part and hopefully helpful. If not, it's just, I guess, tolerate my confessional on my part, I guess. So like here's a dashboard for I know I'm struggling with weariness. When? When I'm easily irritated, when I'm easily discouraged, When I'm mindlessly watching TV, when I lose myself in social media world or endlessly scrolling news headlines, when I withdraw from people, even the life-giving ones, when I fall asleep during prayer and scripture reading, I've been recently just, it's it's like breathtakingly 
Like, it's a work of art how I can fall asleep in the positions of prayer. I just don't know how to describe this to you. Like, I'll be perfectly alert in different parts, but the moment I, 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 I kneel a fair amount when I pray, I found positions that I can kneel and pray, and it's unbelievable, like the slobber puddle that will accumulate. And I'm like, well, wow, that was a really meaningful prayer time like 15 minutes ago. And there's, that's like a dashboard. And like, I try to put myself in positions where if I know I'm just working through weariness stuff, trying to put myself where I won't fall asleep. And, and I find myself even in those positions having, you know, not just nodding off like a real power sleep moment. You're like, what is going on here? Clearly, I'm the only one, I guess, that does that. That's fine. Or when I'm like searching my calendar, like, you know, I'm kind of scrolling through the weeks or months ahead and I'm just kind of searching for something to look forward to. Or I daydream. Anybody else do that? I daydream about like when I just get out of the bed, I daydream about how many hours to get back in the bed. That's not a good start to the day. I'm in the shower. I just got out of the bed and I'm going, how many hours still? It's like a dashboard for me. It's like little indicators that, hey, you know what, Eric, there's a, look, we all have weeks where you get physically tired. I'm talking about, I'm talking about an internal weariness. I'm talking about a weariness of spirit. I'm not talking about just being physically exhausted. That could be a part of it. I'm talking about a level of weariness that kind of drives to me those, those are the lights that flash on the dashboard. Hey, you need to pay attention to something here. And do you see how these are linked? Like, Look, everybody's going through something. We're all going through a battle. Life's going to be really, really hard. And when we get into that space, know that the nature of battle, like those of you who served in the military in any degree, you could come up here and give all kinds of comments. Like the nature of entering into a battle and thinking you're going to enter into a battle and actually be refreshed in that battle, that's not a good paradigm. It's going to be hard. And you're going to have to go through some stuff. And you're going to get weary in that. And it, it reminded me, I, I, read, I read a while ago about the story, May 1987. Do you guys remember the story? Those of you around May 1987. So the Soviet Union declared in 1987 that they had the best air defense system in the world. They were bragging all over the place in 1987 that no one could penetrate their air defense system. So a young German pilot named Matthias Rust he rented a little one-engine Cessna airplane, and he flew it. He taxied it in to the front door of the Kremlin in the Red Square. Can you fathom now? I want you to picture the Russian military leaders getting together. and That's an actual picture of the plane landing in the Red Square. You guys remember this in 1987? It was a crazy story. That's Matthias Rust at the news conference before he gets whisked off to a jail cell. But that's him. This teenager rents a plane, a Cessna, flies it in to what was the most secure air defense system in the world and lands it at the front door of the Kremlin. When I read that story, I thought, you know what? This is sometimes what happens to us in the battle. You know, often we're most vulnerable and susceptible when we're in that place of in the middle of the battle and weary. I know for me, it's when I could be tempted to kind of let my guard down on fronts. Sometimes things become a little too unfiltered at times, right? It's another good indicator maybe on weariness. Like, hey, just all of a sudden you've got something that's taxied up to the doorstep of your life that you never imagined being there. You open them and you go, how did that happen? 
That's this. That's battle and weariness and vulnerability, which cycles into why the third point is so important, which I think is the main takeaway from Exodus 17. God will use the strength of those around us to sustain us. Do you see that in verse 12? This couldn't, this is not a battle that Moses could ever manage alone. He couldn't do it alone. Because the moment he's tried to do it alone, his, his arms got tired and his arms would lower and then Joshua would begin to lose the battle, but his arms would lift it up, he'd win the battle. He's thinking, well, why did God do it that way? I think a big part of it was to demonstrate for us. I think the big principle for us is, hey, the nature of these battles are you're going to need Aaron and her. You're going to need someone to come alongside you to lift up your hands, to steady your hands until sunset. Do you and I have those relationships in our lives? We've, we've got to have those kinds of relationships in, in our lives because we're going to get tired. There's no question about it. There's no problem getting started in the race without those relationships. You can get started in the Christian life. You can try to go get started solo. That may happen. That may be a part of your story. Here's what I know for a fact is you're going to hit stages of that race where 100% certainty this. You are not going to make it to the next mile marker alone. You're not. There will be a time where you're going to need Moses. You're going to need Aaron. You're going to need her. You're going to need someone to come around your arms and help lift them up and steady them until sunset. Do you have those relationships in your life? That's critical path, gang. That's why someone should come up with a system with billions, like billions of people in this world. Surely someone could figure out how no one's alone. God did figure it out. He called it the body of Christ on earth. He called it the church, and Jesus gave his life for it. And he said, here's how this works. Like we, as a body of Christ, we have to prioritize this together. God's made a way for there to be no one alone. But guess what? He's given us human free will. And we got to choose this. Like you have to choose to intersect into community and relationships. You have to choose it. And do you know that that's complicated at times? It's messy at times. It's not easy. It's much easier to kind of withdraw, which is why the weariness leads you to a place of withdrawal. Now, it's not healthy. It's not helpful. It's just easier. The harder part is to move toward Aaron, to move toward her and to say, you know what? I need you to help me. I need you to help me carry this burden. I can't bear this one alone. And the moment you move toward someone and you let them help lift up your arms and steady you till sunset, the battle on the field starts to change its dynamics. Doesn't mean the battle went away, by the way. Notice in the story, it doesn't mean poof, automatically. No, it's like, had to still go through the battle. But there was a sustaining, there was an enduring. Do you see the connection to resilience? This is where a resilient spirit is built. When you get to that place in the race where you're about to give up, where you're about to cash in your chips, you say, you know what, I don't think I can go, I don't, can't get through what I'm going through, not one more leg of the journey, that place right there, when you hit that space and you turn to the Aaron on one side, to the her on other, and you say, would you please help carry this burden, help lift up my hands and steady them until sunset. That moment right there, resilience gets built in the spirit, in the soul. It does not happen alone. So, gang, that's why I know you probably get tired of uh, me or others talking about why, we, like, discipleship classes and life groups and, like, summer bash stuff next. Why is all that stuff so important around here? Because it's a place for you to connect, and you've got you to put yourself in environments where Aaron and her relationships can be fostered. 
Do you know that's a key part of discipleship? Is you consistently placing yourself in spiritually forming environments where Aaron and her relationships can be fostered. It's not just about the content of the classes. Do you know what's an important part of whether it's perspectives or EHS or God owns it all or any of these things we offer around here or life group? It's not just about what they're covering. It's not about getting your blanks filled in and some scripture memorized. As helpful as that may be, you know what's more significant than all that? You're going to meet an Aaron and you're going to meet a her and they will help lift up your hands and steady them until sunset. And if you don't have those in your life, you've got to put yourself in those environments. And parents, hear this now. Do you see then why with your family unit, do you see how critical this is with children and students? This is such a big deal for us as mom and dad. Like we've got to prioritize placing our household in spiritually forming environments where Aaron and her relationships can be built at very young ages and developed and flourished for the decades ahead. Do you see how critical this is? I know there's tons of things pulling at your student and children's calendar. No doubt about it. But I would argue this has to be at the top of the stack because life is really, really hard. And you're going to get weary in the battle. They're going to go through it in the battle. There's going to be a Malachite-like stuff happen. And when that happens, this will be more important than whatever sports stuff and academic stuff and all those other things. As important as all that is, it's not as important as this. They're going to need an Aaron. They're going to need a her. They're going to need someone to help carry the burden and lift up their hands and steady them until sunset. But mom and dad, they won't have that if we don't prioritize that. If we don't say, you know what, here's a non-negotiable in the weekly schedule. We're going to place this at the forefront of the calendar. You in spiritually forming environments where those kind of relationships are fostered. I've yet to meet a parent who says, boy, they did a little too much of that. I sat with a lot of parents down the road with, I wish I would have. I haven't yet met the parent who said, you know what, I just didn't sign my kid up for enough of those other extracurricular stuff. And I'm not, those things are important, but there's something more important than that. The development of their character and the relationships they'll forge in it. Now listen, students, this isn't all on your mom and dad. Like students, you got to own this too. Like, students, this has got to mean something to you. If you don't have an Aaron and her, that's on you too. You've got to put yourself in those environments. You've got to rearrange your work schedule. You've got to manage your homework schedule. You've got to prioritize it such that what? You're going to put yourself in the spaces where this kind of relational equity is built. You've got to own it. You say, well, how do I get started? You know how you get started in all that journey? Adult, student, parent, everybody across the board. You know how we get started in that? You just start showing up. You just show up. Like Sunday mornings. This is a big step. Like show up on Sunday mornings. You know, that's the, maybe the biggest step for some of you right now. Your action step out of this message would be, you know what? I'm just going to discipline myself. I'm going to commit to consistently showing up on Sunday mornings because I know this. It's important when the body of Christ gathers. I know that there are Aaron and her type stuff that happens. I know I cannot carry all this load alone. I'm going to put myself in these settings. That's a big step for some of you. For others of you, it's pressing beyond the Sunday morning into life group or classes or serving. Do you know why serving is such a big deal in the body of Christ? Do you know what happens when you serve together? Do you know what forges in that? You meet an Aaron and a Herd. Do you know when you're serving, that might be who's serving alongside you, Aaron and her. And then when life happens, guess who you're calling? You're calling them. But those relationships get forged out of working together, serving together, doing stuff together. 
billions of billions of people in the world, surely someone come up with a system where no one's lonely. Someone did. And I'll close with this. Henry Cloud, he's one of my favorite writers. And he wrote, he's a psychologist. Uh, he writes about leadership stuff. And in one of his books or teachings, I can't remember, I heard it years ago, he talked about a research experiment that was done where they took a monkey and they put a monkey in a cage and they took this monkey in the cage and they stimulated this monkey with lights and noise and flashing lights, loud music, and they caused his stress levels to go really, really high. And the cortisol level, that's the stress hormone in the brain, they measured his cortisol level after like putting him under all that stressful stuff. Now, don't send me any comment cards about monkeys and cages and animal stuff. All the monkeys were fine in the experiment. Like you don't, don't lose sight of the point here, okay? Come on back. Come on back. I'm not advocating abusing animals here. Just stay with me. So the monkey had the cortisol level red there at the end of that first, like light, sound, crazy. And, and then they let him calm down. I think the next day was the plan. So the next day... They put that same monkey in that same cage, and they just changed one element of the experiment. They put his buddy in the cage with him, so like the the monkey buddy of his. So they had two monkeys in the cage. Same thing, same noise, same light, same sound, same stress inducer, and measured the cortisol level, the stress hormone level in that monkey's brain from day one to day two, 50% lower. The conclusion was this. The circumstances, none of the circumstances changed. The only thing that changed was he had his buddy in his cage with him. And he himself was able to endure the stress-induced elements differently. The circumstance didn't change, but he with his buddy in the cage with him. So the obvious application is, who's the buddy in your cage? I brought this up at the dinner table. My family has to endure my family has to endure a lot of the Sunday morning stuff before Sunday morning ever comes. And they're like, oh, I said, guys, you gotta, I read about this today. We've got to talk about this at the dinner table. I was telling them this story. And so I got to this point. I said, so who's the, who's the buddy in your cage, Lily, Kaylin? So who's the, who's the buddy in your cage? And Kaylin, our 13-year-old, shot right back. No hesitation. She says, chocolate. <laughs> She's so sharp. Appreciated her unfiltered honesty, right? Chocolate, Dad. That's how I'm going to get through the stressors of the life. And so, gang, with billions of people in the world, surely someone comes with a system where no one's lonely. I recognize some of you here are lonely. Some of you listening right now online are lonely. There is another way. Jesus said, I got another way. It's called the body of Christ. Because every single person you lock eyes with is going to be going through something. And when you hit that battlefield, you're going to get tired. And when you get tired, you're going to need an Aaron. And you're going to need a her. And you need someone to come alongside, to help carry the load, to lift up the hands and steady them until sunset. We're going to need a monkey in the cage of life with us. I think if we band together that way, circumstances of life most likely won't be changing, 
but we in them will. And it'll be a resilient spirit built together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this month. Thank you for the ways you've met with us through this whole series about resilience and Thank you for the Aaron and hers that I, th- I know there's some in this room right now that are probably sitting beside them, around them. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the people you have placed in our lives. And, and I want to pray for those who, who are just really struggling with loneliness right now. There's some who just feel really, really alone in their battles. And, and I pray today would be a defining moment. I pray it'd be a change. I pray it'd be, uh, today would be a step uh, from aloneness to a sacred companion or two, to community, to companionship. I I pray for those. I pray that each one of us would be able to point to an Aaron and a her to help us carry the load. Lord, I ask that there would be a, a perseverance and an endurance and a resilience built as we run this race together, um, that we would get to the end of the run and by your grace, with the help of others around us. We could say we finished it even better than we started. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.